kill who you've been so you can become who you need to be. And that's a daily occurrence for me. Quite literally, part of my routine is to contemplate my own death every day and to go forward and say, have I lived a life that was worthy of this precious gift that has been given to me? Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Today, we dive deep into hat number four, the hat of the entrepreneur, as I interview my guest, Hassani X, also known as the story guy. Let's take the journey together with X as he tells his tale of beating the odds after a rough childhood growing up in Oakland where he faced drugs, crime, and violence to his brother's murder and his battle with facing his demons as a business leader, prompting him to face his fears dead on as he jumped out of airplanes and became a mixed martial arts fighter to then find inspiration to impact 100 million lives through the power of story. Let's dive in, Seven Hatters, and hear the rest of X's journey from the man himself. Hassani, also known as X. Welcome to the Seven Hats. I am honored to have you on my show. Uh, Man, pleasure to be here, definitely. Always a pleasure on my side as well. So storytelling is one of my favorite topics, and I've been kind of geeking out about that for years now. Because I believe that storytelling, and we'll go deeper into it, is pivotal towards attaining success, but not just in business, in life. So I'm sure the Seven Hatters are eager to hear the stories about to be told from the lips of the story guy. Let's go back to the early days, X, before you became the story guy. Now, I know your story. I've been hearing it for a while. And I know it also formed the foundation of your why. So I think it's worth spending a couple of minutes telling your story. So go ahead. Tell us your story. Yeah, yeah. So, no, thank you for that. I think, I think story is always about the journey, right? It's not about some place you've arrived and you're, you're just made all of a sudden, boom, you exist. It's, it's the journey of where you begin and, and, and where you started and how you've arrived. And we're all interested in that. Um, and we'll talk more about the psychology of why in a minute. But, but mine begins in Oakland, California. So I don't know how many you know are familiar with Oakland back in the 80s, <sighs> rough place, urban area, drugs, crime, violence, the height of the crack epidemic. And, you know, I, I had it rough and all of us did. Growing up through that definitely forms who you are and what you're made of and what you believe and how you think and what you, how you move. But fortunately, with all of that adversity, I was able to make it through. I was able to become the first person in my family to go to college, get an Ivy League degree, uh, start a business straight out of school. I'm on cloud nine. I've arrived, but then life happens. All right. You know, I got a kid. I'm bringing in the money, everything. And then story, you know, um, life happens. My mom calls me out of the blue one day and she's like, 
Hassani, Hassani, she's frantic. Hassani, Hassani, they killed him. They killed him. I was like, what are you talking about, mom? She's like, they killed him. Your brother, he's dead. He got shot. And um, man, it floored me. Because the last conversation I had with my brother was one where he told me that I wasn't the big brother that he needed, right? He said, you know, you were never there for me, right? And, and I looked him square in his face and said, bullshit. We grew up in the same place, same environment, same parents, same household, same opportunities. It's on you. Don't look at me and don't blame me for where your life is. But it wasn't until I was doing his eulogy at his funeral that I really got it, what he meant. You ever did that kind of self-reflection on your life and everything comes together like, like what was super unclear and, 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 and opaque and like you don't know what's going on and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you're floored by an absolute truth. I got it there doing his eulogy. You see, what he was saying was that I, I never was there for him, that, that he needed me to do it for him. And I started to reflect on all parts of my life. And what I realized is that every time there was an opportunity to lead, I punted. You wanted me to be the captain of the football team? Nah, I'm good. You want me to be student body president? Nah, I'm good. I'll do my part, but when it came to leading others, I was definitely scared. And that was the pivot point in my life where I went from building businesses to focusing on building myself and becoming the best version of me. I got out of building businesses, and as I started to transform my own life, tackling fears, jumping out of airplanes, becoming a professional mixed martial arts fighter, fighting in a cage. Every fear I could think of, I tackled, people started asking me, hey, X, how are you doing it? What are you doing? From my marriage to how I raise my kids, how I keep my body right, how I tackle fears, how I build teams. And I started to do more coaching and leadership development and things of that nature. Fast forward 10 years of doing that, I jumped back into the marketing consulting space and I, because I had another epiphany. The same work that I was doing when I graduated from college with 4E Consulting and building businesses with marketing was the same exact work I was doing to build people and leaders and teams. It always comes down to a communication issue. How you communicate with yourself determines how you show up and perform. How you communicate with your teams determines your culture and belief and buy-in. And how you communicate with the market determines whether you're a commodity or a brand. And what I soon realized was that my whole life has been about being able to communicate my way out of things, not getting shot at or jumped or in trouble for messing with this girl. I always had something to say to get me out of trouble. <laughs> and I was using that skill every day professionally, whether I was building brands or building people and leaders. And that was the genesis of Lead Your Story where we're combining these two areas of communication strategy around building brand and building culture and leadership. And you know, that's where I am now. And now I'm the quote unquote chief of story. How old was your brother? Was he, he was younger brother, right? Yeah, he was younger. So this happened 15 years ago. So 20, no, 26 or 25, somewhere in around there. Isn't it amazing how epiphanies happen when you hit rock bottom? It's almost like, it's funny because back in 2019, we were doing really well. Life was good. And all of a sudden, and this happened a few times, but all of a sudden I looked up and I said, you know what? Universe, bring it on. That's all I said. Universe, bring it on. And look what happened in 2020, just a few months later. But you know what? I birthed so much in 2020 because of the difficulties that I went through, and I'm sure a lot of people went through, 
So it just seems like when you hit that rock bottom, when, you know, your brother dies, you know, something traumatic happens, you lose your business. I mean, something big happens, you lose yourself. And all of a sudden, your eyes open up to greatness. So everybody's so afraid of being disappointed or hitting rock bottom, but it could be one of the best things that can ever happen to someone. I, I agree. I think, I think, you know, one of the hats is the soul, right? I think we have so many of these layers on top of who we truly are that we can forget what we're made of. And I think adversity is the only signifier of truth. Everything else we can comfortably talk at, dance around, pretend. But when it's dark all around us and the only thing we can depend upon is the absolute truth, we find ourselves. And it's only through adversity that we're able to to find that idea and bridge toward greatness. But I think the challenge is not everyone sees their bridge to greatness. They stay stuck in the story of how they've lost or how things are bad. And I tell people all the time, trauma is just your drama rehearsed over and over and over and over and over again. Oh my God, I love that so much. Say that one more time for everybody. Trauma is you rehearsing your drama over and over and over again. Basically, you're telling yourself a story. Real quick, I can share a story. And I didn't earn this skill set, by the way. And I want to I make this abundantly clear. I've perfected it, but I didn't earn it. But I've taught it to hundreds of people. For as, much, as long as I can remember, I've always turned adversity into an empowering story. So when I was five and I saw The Incredible Hulk for the first time, Lou Ferrigno scared the crap out of me. I had nightmares of the Incredible Hulk pulling me into a toilet. I didn't want to go to sleep the next night. I told mom, I was like, look, I don't want to go. No, no. old school mom, you are going to bed right now, 8 p.m., get your butt in the bed. So I'm in the bed and I'm like, Incredible Hulk's going to get me. Like, I just knew it. It was a fact. Nobody could tell me different. And I feel something behind me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. And, and you know, the, the kid mind is like, all right, come up with something. Okay, get under the covers. And I told myself, if you, if, you, if you can't see me, he can't get me. If he can't see me, he can't get me. And I thought, just don't move. So from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next night, I did not move. I mean, the morning, I did not move a muscle. I didn't move. I repeated that mantra at least 10,000 times. If he can't see me, can't get me. My mom walks in 8 a.m. like, you're usually up eating your cereal. You're like, what are you doing? I was like, first thing, I, I looked at my mom and I said to myself, where were you? You weren't there for me. Potential trauma, right? If I rehearsed that drama. But immediately the next thought was, he didn't kill me. I survived. <laughs> I survived. And I turned around and it was my pillow. I jumped off the bed, went and got my kicks, slapped, slid down in front of the floor model TV and turned on the Incredible Hulk. That could have been a traumatic situation, but I just seem to fight for the story that empowers me and allows me to deal with adversity in different ways than most. So I tell people, like, whatever is impacting you in a negative way, I promise you that you've been rehearsing that story and you haven't found an empowering meaning and therefore you're trapped by it. And you are creating, in many cases, not always, your own prison of trauma. I Absolutely love that. So your brother passed away, traumatic moment. You had a rough childhood, traumatic period. Started working and figuring out certain things in life. So that epiphany that you had, that aha moment, I want to go a little deeper into that for a second because 
your mission is to impact a hundred million lives through the power of story. Do you recall like that moment, that initial thought came to you? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact moment, but I do, under, I do recall how it unfolded. I think for me, always being stuck in my own head and not feeling like I could depend upon anybody to help me out of my situation and the pain, I think that's why I naturally gravitated towards creating empowering meanings. No one was going to save me and no one was going to help me through it. So I had to figure it out on my own. And I think, I think what I soon realized turned me on more than anything else in the world was when I attached myself to that heroic breakthrough moment of coming out on the other side. But when I was able to witness and be a part of someone else doing that, that was like my high. That was my drug of choice. So when I'm in front of a room of 50 hardcore, like blue collar mechanics at an electric company, a publicly traded company, and everybody is hardcore, like I don't want to be here. And then an hour into it, half of them are crying and half of them are doing this. And we have these like, like dramatic breakthroughs. I'm like, yes, this is what it's all about. Or I'm working in a prison or I'm helping turn a business around. It's that, that breakthrough moment where you see someone get it. And they've been empowered with a new story, a new idea, a new way forward. That's my high. And then I started doing research around how could I multiply this effect in my life. And I started to really think about what it means to transform an organization or to transform a person. And I came upon an idea and I extrapolated that all you need to do is impact 1% to have a chance at changing anything. And I call that Project 1P. 1% of an enthusiastic bunch of people can start a movement change a company, change a life, anything. If you can cleave to the 1% and dedicate yourself to it, it can really transform things. So doing some math, there's about 8 billion people. That's 80 million people in the world. I know there'll be a 10 billion soon. Hence, I've arrived at 100 million. The 1%. I know one thing for sure. You're going to get there. All the faith in the world. So in one of your training videos, uh, Pitch Perfect, I believe, you asked the audience, what is your why? And Carrie, she said, quote, I'm tired of not being seen by the world, being turned away from society because I'm stumbling on my words, end quote. So that made me think of a song from Broadway's Chicago named Mr. Cellophane. Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, because you can look right through me I walk right by me I never know I'm there Mr. Cellophane should have been my name Mr. Cellophane because you can look right through me walk right by me and never know I'm there mm. so isn't it amazing that without story you can actually be Mr. Cellophane because the story itself the story you tell yourself the story you tell others, that makes you who you are, right? Do you want to delve a little bit deep, deeper into that? Yeah, a couple of things. Like, man, there's so many different ways in which we can, we can go here. But I, I'll start with this idea. The differentiation between things isn't of paramount significance. And let's just talk entrepreneurially speaking. Your product and widget or service, as great as it is, is duplicatable by somebody else in most cases. So it's, it's a commodity, buy and of it to itself. 
But what makes it something is when a story is attached to it, making it something special, something unique, something where there's a unique mix of feelings and thoughts associated with this thing that can be reproduced almost anywhere. That's the idea of a brand, creating an irreplaceable thought and feeling in the hearts and minds and soul of our prospect, our market. If we can't do that, then we're competing on product and price, which who's going to win that game? Big businesses. So I tell entrepreneurs all the time, there are two, two things to know about our market and where we're going. Big businesses will win based upon volume and scale. They'll drive price margins down. Think Amazon. Can't compete. Too big. We don't have the economies of scale to do what they do. The middle will be eroded and decimated. It's already started. The other end of the spectrum is brand. Those who are able to create an irreplaceable thought and feeling in the minds and hearts and souls of their market, they will stand out and be chosen, not because they have the best product, but because they have the best story. Without that story, you are invisible. You are shouting into the market and you are Mr. Cellophane. You are see-through. You are something I can walk by and ignore. But as soon as you start to communicate what it's about, why it exists, you use certain formats and formalities around how to tell and communicate that story, which, by the way, isn't just what you say. All parts of the narrative imbue the story and the brand. How you look, how you dress, the set you have, the images, the videos, all of it come together to help create that story. I tell people at the, at the, at the root foundational floor of everything that impacts human life is a story. We're the only creature in the world, and that's why we dominate, that allows the story of what came before us to educate us, edify us, and empower us so that we can stand on the shoulders and foundation of that collective agreed upon story and idea and ethos. Every other creature has to start from scratch when it's popped out of the womb. And therefore, they aren't able to build upon or collectively come together. I've been listening to a guy named Satguru. Uh, I think Tony Robbins interviewed him and it just kind of brought him back in my radar. Satguru talks about he's got a book called Karma. And he basically says karma is a collection of memories. And you have different types of memories. DNA memory, psychic memory, your regular memory. You know what's really funny? It's almost like your karma comes from story and comes from generational stories that get passed on, if you think about it. It's just an interesting concept that made me think of, of the spiritual aspect of story too. Because your DNA tells a story. And that just ca- gets passed on and carried on. You know, it's funny, you're, you're mentioning businesses and pricing. Another one of my mentors, I speak about him all the time, Russell Brunson. He says, there is no strategic advantage for being the second cheapest product in the market. There's so much competition with business in general. So how do you get out of this red ocean and move into a blue ocean? Story. It's the only thing, story and offer. If you have a great offer and you have a great story, you can distinguish yourself and you don't have to be the second cheapest or the third cheapest. You can be the highest priced offering. That's, that's the power and beauty of brand. It, it gives you that capacity. Going back to Sadhguru, I love Sadhguru, by the way. And I've, I've been big on him for years. And one of the things, speaking about DNA for the audience, if you want to geek out on some stuff, look up transgenerational epigenetic inheritance, which they're starting to prove scientifically how experiences are passed down genetically, not in terms of manipulating the DNA structure, but a mouse who was afraid of X, Y, and Z could pass down that fear to their kids. And there's no genetic market that speaks to why that should be inherited. 
there's it's, it's a burgeoning science right now, but it, it speaks to what the ancients and the indigenous peoples of the world have always understood without the X's and O's of science. But the, I think that that lends a hand to the idea of basically the stories that we pass on are so powerfully driving, even at a DNA level, that it gives us clues as to how to differentiate and stand out through having a powerful way to communicate your story. Or you will be one among many. And that blue ocean that we seek to create is about finding that unique, authentic, connected way to communicate with an audience. And by the way, I don't know if we have time for this, but the idea of your story is an oxymoron. It's really not about Yuval's story or my story, X. It's about your customer's story and how you transform their lives through your services and being able to tell and use the parts of story to communicate more powerfully. But to your point, story is foundational to it all. Speaking about customer stories, so tell us the journey of getting your first customer. So you're you're going on your own. You're your own man now. Strap on. You're on a roller coaster. Tell us what it was to get that first client. How difficult was it? Because I know it was difficult. Don't tell me it was easy. I know it was difficult. I remember when we started ProMash and I'm having sushi with my friend Vadim. And this is like three or four months into it. And I didn't have my story and I didn't know how to really deliver my message yet. And I couldn't get one client. I mean, months, couldn't get a client. Scary stuff, yeah. And I'm standing with him outside and I'm saying, Vadim, this is not going to work. I'm not getting a client. It's not going to work. I'm going to go and this this will be another disaster. So obviously with story and landing, getting your message, obviously things changed. But how was it for you? Well, I tell people all the time, I'm one of those people who um, I'm intelligently stupid. Like I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I, I had like $1,400 saved coming out of college and I had a daughter who was born the week before I graduated. And I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to figure it out. You know, I've never had a job and I still haven't had a job. And it was like, oh, my God, like, yeah, you were in for a rude awakening. But I did get those first few clients. But I think a very powerful story to share is how I used story to get my first six figure deal. I, I was pitching this uh, consulting service to a firm. And you get to the point where you're trying to sign the deal and you pass the deal over the contract and she's looking at it. And we've been had this rapport going back and forth. And she's now all of a sudden fearful. I can see it. I could feel it. You know, how you can feel like you're not going to get this work. Well, my my son had just been born, my second child. And I we just moved. My wife's in the military. So I have this kind of feast and famine. It takes me two years to figure out the local scene. I have a banner year and then we move. That's that's been our pattern. So I'm like, I got to close this deal. I intuitively told her a story and it was like, oh, my God, I'm on to something. I told her about my first fight as a as a fighter. And I was like, listen, when my brother died, I said I was going to attack every fear that came upon me. I walked out of my on my stoop one day and I did one of these. I looked left. I looked right. And then I got into my car. And when I was in my car, I was like, wait a minute, why did I do that? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm still acting as if I live in Oakland, California, where you have to look and see because you don't know what's going to happen. So I run it out and I tell my wife, I was like, I'm scared of physical confrontation. My wife is like, what are you talking about? I'm scared. Like, I, I have physical fear. And then at the time, this was 2000, 2004. And I look on the screen and it's an MMA promotion. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get into a cage and fight. And my wife was like, no, you're not. I was like, yes, I am. So a year later, I trained. I'm in a, my first fight. I you know, I couldn't sleep for a whole week leading up to it. 
I'm, I'm panicking. I'm nervous. I'm walking to the ring. By the way, it was illegal back then. It was only it was only legal on Indian reservations. So we had our fights on Native American land in, in, in Nevada. So I'm having my first fight. People are throwing beer and popcorn. It's crazy. The announcer's like, are you ready for a no holds bar fighting contest? I am more scared than I've ever been in my life. I get into the cage. I look into the ground and there's blood all over the mat. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what have I gotten myself into? And the dude is pacing the ring, going back and forth, yelling out, oh, I'm going to kill you. So I was like, I was, I was shook. But you know you got to put on a good face, right? So I was like, yeah, I'm not shook. I'm going to kill you. That's what I told him. But I, I didn't believe it. <laughs> but the bell rung. And all of a sudden, I was thrust into this space where the fierce urgency of that moment pushed me. Remember, we talked about it. Adversity is the only place you find what you're made of. And I fought and I ended up knocking him out in the first round and I raised my hand in victory. And what I realized when it was the toughest in the middle of the fight was I understood what I was fighting for. Right when I was about to lose and I couldn't find an ounce of strength left, I remember my wife, I remember my kids, I remember my brother, I remembered all the things that mattered to me. And I was able to hold my hand up in victory. And I looked across the table at the client who prospect at the time, and I said, I don't think you know what you're fighting for. What are you fighting for? She signed. That was the moment I recognized the power of you sharing your story that imbues something that you can't snatch off of a balance sheet. And that, that, that day I'll never forget because that, I, now I share stories every time I'm about to close a deal. So yeah. I think that's fantastic. And you know, it's funny because entrepreneurs, they have to distinguish between empowering stories and stories that lead to their downfall as well. Because ultimately, the story starts within yourself. Even though your karma or your whole being is made up of stories that are, have accumulated over time, some of them are negative. Some of them will tell you, I can't be an MMA fighter. I can't go into business. I can't, can't, can't. And so what you need to do is you need to separate yourself from your story too sometimes and build a new story that takes the lessons from the memories that you have, but not letting them hold you back. It's like rowing a boat. If you're docked, you're, you might get a bunch of exercise, but you're not even going anywhere, right? You need to undock yourself sometimes and shift forward. So I love that. What did you learn from your customers? You know, you've been telling stories, you've been working with, with a lot of amazing individuals and corporations. What did you learn from them? Are there any significant stories that you have where you saw tremendous change on their end based upon your methodologies and your support? Can you share that with the seven hatters out there? Yeah. I think, I think one of the things when we think about growing an organization or a business, I've had the great fortune of working with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, all the way up to publicly traded companies. And the thing that unites the successful across the board is the leaders know how to connect the dots between a multitude of things. They have a great product, but they don't just rely upon that. They know that with the great product, they need to have great people in place and to support them. And they know that these great people also need great marketing. Like they, the, the leaders who win don't settle on the idea of being a one-trick pony. They wear all seven hats, to stay within the analogy. It's, it's, it's not about balance. It's about understanding when and where to apply yourself as one ball is about to drop. 
And, and I can sit back sometimes and watch a masterful leader ebb and flow through that. Okay, we had a down quarter. We're going to really focus on launching this new product. We're going to put everybody on the same sheet of music and everyone's churning and burning. And we have a few people who've fallen down. I, I'm in, I, I can empathize and connect enough to say, okay, how do I support these three while at the same time having the team run 100 miles an hour on this side? The other way only leads to short-term gains, not long-term sustainability. So, so for me, the idea of leading your story is about finding that, that happy medium between creating a great strategy and then also leading you and your team to execute it over time. Because you said something, the old stories keep us stuck in place. Well, the same thing exists within the entrepreneurial space. Strategy and new information won't set you free. You have to untether that old story, as you said. And now you have to build new muscle memory, which means repetition, which means doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But it's those fundamentals that done over time with consistency add up to crushing your competition because you're showing up each and every day with something that they don't have, which is a galvanizing story and a reason and a product and people to support it. For you entrepreneurs out there who get into the game thinking that it's going to be marvelous and you're going to be the next Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and you're going to be in front of cameras and enjoy life and millions of dollars are going to rain down, remember this. 85% of your days are going to be your grind. Minimum, maybe 90. And 10% you're going to celebrate and you're going to enjoy. But you'll never see that materially change. For most entrepreneurs, unless you're Mark Zuckerberg and hit that lucky streak. But it's, it's so true in, in what you're saying. So let's shift to the individual for a second. Because a lot of entrepreneurs are going to say, I don't have a story. Does everybody have a story? And if so, how do they get it if they don't think they have it? Everyone definitely has a story. I think the biggest challenge is that you've lived your story and you're around it every day. So it's like plain vanilla. It's like, eh, this, this is just plain vanilla. Over here, they got Chunky Monkey. They got all these flavors and goo gobs of this. You're just used to it. You know, in our workshop sometimes, when we used to do a lot of coaching and stuff, we would have people hold a penny in there between their thumb and their forefinger in both hands. And I would say, okay, just humor me and hold those pennies. And then someone invariably would ask after two minutes, well, why are we doing this? I was like, just hold the pennies. Let's just keep going. 30 minutes into it, I say, who remembers that you have a penny in your hand? Nobody raises their hand. You're so used to it, you judge it from the perspective of being normal, plain, and insignificant. So that's the first thing. You got to let go of the idea that your life, which you've lived, isn't special or doesn't have something that you're going through. That's the first thing, just letting go of that idea. I think the second thing is just going through a process that can help you to uncover a story to share. I tell people there is no one story. There is no perfect story. There's a story that you can share that's relevant to the circumstance and situation that can powerfully communicate how you can be of impact in someone else's life. When you get good at it, you have 10 stories in your pocket that you can share at any given time. But I think having a formalized process to extract that to where you can let go of your own ego and judgment, whether it's facilitated or just through a process, can help tremendously in helping you to find that story. Um, you'd be surprised. It's, it's not about fireworks. 
It's about the thing, especially your founder's story. There are three stories we teach in our, in our story trainings, but your founder's story isn't about the heroics that you yourself have done. It's about why you care so much about being a guide in someone else's story. Because nobody cares about what we've done. They want to be the hero in their own story. So we have to be trustworthy guides in the lives of those that we lead and love or those that we serve. And you'd be surprised from your, from your assistant to the groundskeeper. There is something in their life that they have done and are doing or going through that's enviable. And we just have to get them to communicate it and connect that to the business. And you can have an army of storytellers inside of your organization. And those that are timid about telling their story, they don't think that they can. Even after hearing you, there are experts such as yourself to sit there and get that story out of that individual. Because I know that I agree with you. Everyone's got a story, but everyone also thinks that they're an imposter, myself included. When I created the podcast, when when I launched the podcast, I can't even tell you how many nights I thought to myself, why would anybody listen to me? Who am I? What did I do? And you got to get over that. And I think everybody goes through it, no matter how successful you are. So if someone's timid about relaying their story, like Carrie stated, she's stumbling her words. She's not sure on how to communicate it. So it's a chicken and egg thing because it's confidence, right? You need some confidence, but you need to be telling the story. So which one? Confidence? Story? Both? Uh, That's a tricky question. I you know, it's what comes first, chicken or egg. I, I tell people, listen, to get started, you need some faith. Enough fuel in the tank that I'm on the right path, I'm doing the right thing. And as I take action, I can evaluate and practice drill and rehearse and pivot. I just need to get you enough confidence to get clear about what your story could be and then create opportunities for you to actually share it. If they're not scheduled or not on the calendar, you won't do it. I helped someone launch their speaking career, right? She, you know, I, I did my first Toastmasters speech when I was 12. My dad drugged me to a Toastmasters meeting. I thought it was child abuse at the time. I was not happy about giving my first speech, but I learned something in those rooms about speaking and, and what it took to speak. And it has nothing to do with eloquence or not stumbling your words. It just has to do with believing you have something worthy to say. So going back to the professional speaker, she asked me, should I join Toastmasters? And I said, well, what's your goal? I want to be a professional speaker. I said, well, don't join Toastmasters then. And she was like, why? I was like, you're going to go practice speaking. You're going to get comfortable speaking, but you're not going to become a professional speaker. Why don't you just go speak? And she was like, what are you talking about? I said, okay, you know some people? Yeah. All right. You got a church that you go to? Yeah. All right. I said, book a date for this Wednesday. You're going to give a speech. I said, just do it. Just do it. I'll help you. She booked the date. She came up with a speech and I said, okay, what do you want to tell those people as a professional speaker? And I said, okay, just say that. She was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about my speech? What about the outline? She's like, don't worry about this. They'll show up and just to say it. Of course, just like me waiting for my first fight, she shit bricks for a week leading up to it. She was not confident in herself, but she showed up that day. I gave her a dollar at the end of it and said, this is your first pay gig. She framed it and now she's a professional speaker. It's just getting into the ring. It's getting into the ring. That's what makes makes all the difference in the world. So you have three stories, founder, customer, mission. Can you give us a brief, very high level on what these stories pertain to? And as a follow-up, do you change that story 
based on your audience? Yeah, well, great question. So high level, three, three stories. The first story is your customer story. It's the story of how you transform the lives of your customer. You take them from experiencing problems and pain to having more peace, power, and pleasure in their life through your product and or service. They are the hero of the story. You're making their lives better. You gotta be able to communicate how their life is better through your help and support. Meaning you are not the hero of that story. They are. That's paramount. 95% of the time, that's the story you need to trade on in your content, your website, and all of your media. That's the story. The second story is your founder's story. Your founder's story isn't about why you're so great because you founded something. The founder's story showcases why you are a worthy guide in your hero customer's life. And I'll give you a really quick example. Lawyer I work with, he became a great lawyer because when he was eight years old, he was evicted from his house. And then his mom was in court for months. They were homeless. He was in a foster home for a while. And he promised and vowed that no one would ever take advantage of anybody that he loved in his life ever again. He shares that story. Not his Harvard degree, not how many cases he won, that. That is what closes the deal as to why he cares about being the guide in someone's life. That's the founder story. And everybody in your organization should have a founder story, by the way. The third story is your mission story. This is what you stand for in the world, what you're fighting for, the line in the sand that you draw as an organization. This story is becoming even more and more important each day because People are more socially conscious and aware. They're choosing where they spend their money and where they work at based upon social issues. What do you stand for? You can be reactive or you can be proactive and say, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is our mission and why we exist. So those are three stories. The second part was, should you change them depending upon context, I think? Your audience. Yeah, I I think definitely. But initially, say the same story over and over again. When you become more adept at storytelling, you shift small parts of your story to connect with the audience. So, so for example, when I'm sharing my fight story, sometimes I, I emphasize the idea of what we're fighting for. But sometimes when, when I'm uh, doing like personal development work, it's not really what we're fighting for. I change the emphasis to say, this is a fierce, urgent moment what are you going to decide right now? Like I change small parts depending upon the audience. If it's a service-based audience, I may focus on service. If it's a product-based audience, I may focus on products, but the ethos remains the same. But some of the languaging in the story can shift depending upon the audience. Love that. Same story, different emphasis. So before I ask you my last question, I just fell in love with your story of the melting pot just because it just warmed my heart from a corporate restaurant doing it all wrong, in a sense, losing market share, because obviously it's really competitive. And that glamour of the melting pot went away after a certain number of years of them being in business. But you came along. How did you change their story and what happened? Because it's really heartwarming and I'd love the audience to hear that. Let me give context. I think as entrepreneurs, we, we want to find a way to connect our audience to what it is that we do. And sometimes the easiest and most efficient way for us to think about doing that is to scream product and price. I have the best product. I have the best this. And by the way, we have the lowest price. Two things that when you really focus on are either going to make developing and delivering your product super expensive because being the best is expensive. 
And it's not even an advantage that you can keep. And then being the lowest price, that's a race to the bottom, as you said, being the second lowest price. So the other idea is trading on purpose and passion and connecting with something that creates feeling. So fast forward to the melting pot. All of their advertising was product and price based, right? We have the best food, best experience. And by the way, there's a Mother's Day special book and come in. Well, I was like, well, people associate the melting pot to occasions, birthdays and maybe anniversaries. Those are their two winners. And I was like, well, aren't there other occasions to celebrate the melting pot? Because what is it about? And the owner was like, it's about food. I was like, no, it's about the experience. It's about coming together. By the way, I was coaching the leaders on this team and their, and, and their management staff. So I knew that he used to bring his daughter to the melting pot, the owner. And I was like, let's share a story about, about you and your daughter coming to the melting pot. And I was like, well, he was like, what does that have to do with anything? I said, let's create a new experience by communicating stories that open up people to think about the brand in a different light. So we first told this heartwarming story of his disconnect with his own daughter. How as a busy businessman, he's, he's lost connection with his daughter, how it hurts him, how he feel like he's failing as a father, even got him to cry in a commercial for the melting pot. The follow-up was what we called our Tag-A-Dad campaign. We brought 10 dads in and then with their daughters and filmed their experience and asked the daughters and the dad, what was it like? And they just gave the most heartwarming thing about reconnecting with their daughters. We didn't do that on social media and had people tag a dad in that campaign. And if you are a, I would say 35 to about 53 year old dad who has a daughter, there is no way you watch that and say, I, I don't wanna go to the melting pot. It's, it's gonna punch you in your chest. And that's the power of story. If it doesn't get people to think and feel a certain way, then it's an advertisement and you're gonna be competing on product and price, not purpose and passion. Entrepreneurs out there, connect with your audience. Make them believe what you believe. Make them go through what you went through because they are literally where you started and they want to go through what you went through to get your result. And if you can convey that and if you can emotionally enroll them into it, then you're doing what X is doing. Doing good work, my friend. So I'm going to ask you one more question. You're successful, been around the block from where you started. Who did you have to stop being? And who did you need to become in order to manifest your success? Mm, she went deep with that one. As many stories as I have of fireworks, I feel like I'm always in the lab refining and retooling. Even the colors for Legion Story of Black and Yellow is just to signify under construction. So I always feel like I'm always chipping away at that guy. And he's not perfect yet. He definitely feels like an imposter sometimes. So I, I don't feel like this is this, this, this lightning shed moment where, boom, I got to kill him. Because I literally live by a mantra. Kill who you've been so you can become who you need to be. And that's a daily occurrence for me. Quite literally, part of my routine is to contemplate my own death every day. And to go forward and say, have I lived a life that was worthy of this precious gift that has been given to me. So it's part and parcel of my daily routine to go through my raw review, RAW, I'll give you one more tool for everyone. RAW, every significant thing you do, even the small things. I've helped companies make tens of millions of dollars just by doing the raw review. Afterwards, first recognize when it went well, 
A, acknowledge area where things didn't go as well as you wanted. And then W, what work will you do to improve upon one key aspect? After this podcast episode, I'm going to do a quick raw review mentally for two minutes. And I will get so much better in doing that simple process by, the, by just clumlessly just, just falling through life. So I don't know if I answered the question other than I'm always under construction, my friend, always. And I think that's perfect because a lot of times everybody's expecting I had to stop being a drug addict in order to become successful. But no, you know what the funny thing is? Every single moment when you say no, you say yes to something. And when you say yes, you say no to something. And that daily never-ending improvement, what Tony Robbins calls Kanai, if you're honest with yourself, if you can look in the mirror and be honest with what went right, what went wrong, what can you improve upon? But then always give yourself, give that reflection a high five. Because ultimately, do better tomorrow. But as long as you did your best today, it's good enough. My friend, it's been such a pleasure. What I want to emphasize is that every entrepreneur that's listening should be contacting X because you can really help. I know you can. So tell the seven hatters out there, how do they connect with you? What do you have going on? I know that you have a wealth of information. You also have, you have a course, a free course for them. So tell them how they can connect with you and what do you have to offer for them, to them? Yeah, so if you're, if you're looking, definitely connect with me on social media. Our, our website is leadyourstory.com where you can find out about the company or asaniex.com, my personal website. But if you want some practical tools, meaning something that you can implement, we have this thing we call the UBS, the Unifying Brand Story where we give you the quite literal blueprint on how we do storytelling for brand development and leadership and culture development inside of organizations, go to launchmystory.com. Um, you'll get the video, you get the worksheets, that's all free. Um, and you'll be part of our inner community and circle where we're sharing tidbits and resources to help people to better communicate and to lead their story. So again, that's launchmystory.com and uh, you get access to that that free framework on how to share powerful stories for creating an unstoppable brand and a unifying, collectively strong culture where leaders and teams come together to do something special. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. X, it was an honor having you on the show. I look forward to building our relationship and hearing the rest of your story. I appreciate it, my friend. It's definitely a pleasure. I'll come back all seven times. I love it. Any place to run my mouth, I'm there. You got it, my friend. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with X. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. Everything in life is a story. When you wake up in the morning and your monkey mind starts chattering away, that's a story. When you negotiate with your loved ones, employees, or colleagues, that's a story. When you get in front of your prospects to close a deal, that's a story. The tale you tell is your story and your life could be in a completely different place just by becoming a better storyteller. Stories allowed us to transfer knowledge from generation to generation, connect authentically with another human being, and learn from that person's experience. Stories shaped our species, strengthened and challenged our opinions and values. Stories are so powerful because with great stories, hormones such as dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins are released. In your listener, dopamine increases focus, motivation, and memory. 
Oxytocin makes them more generous and bond with you. And endorphins make people more creative and relaxed. The world is waiting to hear what you have to say. So make sure every one of your stories is impactful. Follow X's advice. Don't wait. Start now. Because I know you have many incredible stories within you that can transform your business and your life. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success in your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat off to you. And one final note, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you got from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. I'd also love for you to weigh in on this topic. Join the Seven Hatters community on my website, the sevenhats.com, so we can connect off-air.